uh, and uh, it, it has brought a lot of comfort, and especially the, the Scottish metrical version, which we have, have just sung, has really kind of made it uh, very popular. The tune is a very endearing one, and it has brought us closer to the words. Um, and uh, so let's uh, read that together. I to the hills, uh, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Well, it's a very short psalm, uh, as are the songs of ascent. They're all very short, almost exactly the same uh, in length, each one. And the psalm itself is uh, meant to instill confidence in those making the pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Uh, it, it's, it's uh, again, a very beautiful idea, the songs of ascent, uh, songs of going up, because we ourselves are on a journey. The children of Israel were on a journey from Egypt through the, the, the wilderness into the promised land. And they spent 40 years in the wilderness. And that wilderness journey is also uh, emblematic of our uh, journey through this life with all its ups and downs, with all the, the highs and lows. And so that journey for, for the Israelite from wherever they were coming, from whatever part of the land, uh, uh, and by the time of Jesus, they were coming from all sorts of different parts of the world. They were coming from uh, Greece. They were coming from uh, uh, Asia Minor. They were coming from North Africa. They were coming from all over the known world at that time. So the, the journey would have been longer and the dangers would have been uh, uh, multiplied. And so the, 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 the successful journey that... Uh, God promises in these uh, psalms uh, are a, a, a really a parable of one's whole life. As the songs of ascent we were describing last week, they describe not only the positive things, but also the negative things that uh, sometimes take place in a person's life. Uh, but that does not negate the presence of God in our lives. And, and the psalmist... Uh, uh, you know whether it's the person writing the psalms or uh, describing the, the the wilderness journey under Moses or the travels of Paul or whatever it may be, it's always fraught with difficulty, with pain, with physical suffering sometimes. And, uh, and the songs of ascent don't brush that under the rug, but it promises ultimate deliverance for the people of God. In this life you shall have tribulation. So when we're looking at this, we're not to think that God is promising a, a, a cushy life as we move forward in that he will keep us from all evil. That's not what he intends for us to, to uh, understand there. Uh, that would be simply uh, hiding your head in the sand uh, because many, most of the psalms are psalms of complaint. 
That's, a, that's a, an amazing thing. And it's a, an encouraging thing because there's a lot in our lives uh, that uh, uh, try us uh, and I think for good reason because uh, that is a key element of sanctification in our lives. That we are, we are required perhaps to have more trouble in our lives than successes because it keeps us close to God. We are like sheep and we're always going astray. And affliction keeps us oftentimes close to the shepherd. And so on this journey, there are lots of uh, hazards along the way. There's uh, lots, of, lots of dangers that we will come across. The road is uh, windy and uneven and dangerous, treacherous in places. And uh, that's what the uh, Israelites often found as they journeyed, whether it be bandits or even wild beasts. It tells us in Mark's Gospel that when Jesus was out in the wilderness, uh, tempted of the devil, it says he was with the wild animals. Uh, and so that, that's an incredible thing. Jesus there alone in the desert with the wild animals. Uh, so this, the Bible is... Uh, uh, full of that kind of imagery. It doesn't water down the struggles. It doesn't water down the dangers. That's why Jesus says, if you would come after me, count the cost. Count the cost. No one who starts to build uh, does so uh, half prepared or half-heartedly. Uh, so we must uh, be very um, uh, be able to go through this uh, life with our eyes open. In the first uh, a couple of stand, uh, verses then, the psalmist looks to the Lord. Uh, really, our two points in this is the psalmist looks up to the Lord and that the Lord looks out for the psalmist. Now, those, are, those, are, uh, those were uh, uh, headings that I had gotten from somewhere else and I thought they were so good, I thought I would just use them tonight. The psalmist looks up to the Lord and the Lord looks out for the psalmist. Looking up, and the Lord looking out. He says, I lift my eyes to the hills. Now again, this is seen as a very positive thing, a positive picture. And we generally take it in that way. If we're going by hills or if we're in the mountains, uh, I've often heard people say, I lift my eyes to the hills. And it becomes very inspiring. And they remember uh, uh, Psalm 121. In fact, it's, I'm just remembering this now, and I'll have to do a double check on it when I get home. But in the University of Calgary, there is a gate. And in Gallic, in the Gallic language, uh, why it's in Gallic, I don't know. But it's in the Gallic language, and it's, it's looking out toward the Rocky Mountains and it says, I to the hills will lift my eyes. Now you could double check that when you go home, but that's, uh, I'm pretty sure, 95% sure on that. Uh, and so that's, that, that was in the days when universities uh, were, you know, had more of a religious outlook, more, had more of a Christian worldview. I'm sure that gate will be torn down before too long. But uh, uh, this is the positive uh, idea that we have of this. Now that may be the case. 
And if as if you read through different commentaries on this psalm, it it's largely positive. This idea of the hills. Some take it as uh, the the danger that may lurk in the hills as the people are traveling down to Jerusalem, uh, whether it be bandits or animals or whatever it is. Uh, is symbolizing the danger that lurks in our lives. Most commentators uh, take it in one of two ways. They take it as either uh, mountains that inspire us. You remember as we looked at Psalm 119, Your word, O Lord, is settled in the heavens. Remember what we said about that, that as we look up at the stars and the constellations and the sun and the moon that are there, fixed, immovable, so God's Word is fixed and immovable. His purposes never change. And some people think that this is what uh, the psalmist is getting at here. I lift my eyes to the hills. I look at their permanence and their strength, and I'm reminded of the God who put them there. The God who made the heavens and the earth. And this is um, what the psalmist goes on to say. My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. So he's basically saying, where did these mountains come from? These mountains that are strong and permanent and immovable. Well, they they were made by God. And if God made these mountains, and they are immovable, uh, can I not then draw a conclusion from that, that God will also protect me at all times. That is uh, another popular uh, idea. Uh, But he's also perhaps thinking about uh, Mount Zion. Jerusalem is in the hill country, and the temple was built on Mount Mount Zion. And so he, he's perhaps thinking about those hills that surround the, uh, the, the city of Jerusalem. And we've uh, read a few times already, Psalm 125, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds His people from this time forth and forevermore. Now that is also a very strong uh, idea. That the mountains that surround Jerusalem, as they evoke confidence in the worshiper, so as as the uh, 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 pilgrims make their way and behold those permanent fixtures of the hills or the mountains around them, they're inspired to look to the one who put them there. The mountains, however you uh, uh, conceive of them, or or whatever the psalmist is pointing to here, the mountains are not the message anyway. The mountains are not the the end in view. It's the God who put them there. The God who made the heavens and the earth. This is where their uh, true confidence lies. Our help is in the name, and that's what we find over in Psalm uh, uh, 124, verse 8. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made the heavens and the earth. Not that the mountains can ultimately save us, 
or that the heavens can ultimately save us, but it's the God who made them. That's what we're called to do. We're called to look beyond these powerful, permanent things and say, as glorious as they are, who is the one who put them there? He is personal. He is not a rock. He is not a tree. He's not an inanimate object. He is the personal uh, God, the triune God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. Calvin himself says that the meaning is that though all the, uh, the, the, the mightiest helps of the world are present, yet we ought not to seek safety anywhere but in God. And I think that's a very good way of looking at it. Though there might be many, many impressive structures uh, along the way, and he, whether he's talking about mountains or seas or princes or kings, don't put your trust in princes. Don't put your trust in man whose whole life is in his nostrils, whose breath is in his nostrils. And when that goes, he goes as well. So no matter uh, uh, what it is, God is teaching us to seek our safety in Him alone. And so Isaiah 40, those beautiful words, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the Creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. And there you have again that journey uh, of the Christian going along. He, he gives power to the faint. And we become faint in our journey. There's lots of times where we become spiritually, mentally, physically exhausted. And we can rest in the Lord. We can trust in Him that He gives. He will restore us. He will give us strength again. To Him who has no might, He increases strength. These again are timeless words of encouragement. And so the psalmist looks to the Lord. It's a definite resolve that he has. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. What, what uh, 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 passion he, 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 uh, he speaks of there, speaks with. He wants to publicly declare to all around, especially to the worshiping community, that though the, uh, all the world around be impressive and strong, yet our true help comes uh, from the Lord. So he looks to the Lord, and then it says, uh, in our next heading says, the Lord looks out for the psalmist. I think that's a good way of putting it. Looking up to the Lord and the Lord looking out for the psalmist. He will not let your foot be moved. He will not let your foot be moved. This, when we our, our foot slide, that, that's often a, a picture of trouble in our lives. Uh, we looked a few weeks ago at Psalm 73 uh, where the psalmist uh, traces his 
his time of backsliding to that very thing. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. He, he, he describes his, his, his trouble, his spiritual struggle in terms of his feet. Uh, and and the, uh, perhaps the uneven ground that he found himself in. One person has said, when we are anchored in eternity, we can deal with time. When we are united to the One who moves all things, we ourselves cannot be moved. I think that's a wonderful statement. When we are anchored in eternity, as Paul says, let your, uh, we are to have our minds and our affections where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He says, um, we can deal with time. We can deal with the things of this life. The passage of time. Aging. Whatever it may be. Because why? We now possess eternal life. That gives us stability for our feet. And then he goes on to say, when we are united to the One who moves all things, we ourselves cannot be moved. We are united by faith as a father to a son, to, uh, to the Creator of the universe, who moves all things, and because of that, we ourselves cannot be moved. He is the one that sets the planets in motion, and therefore, uh, we ourselves are secure. He will not let your foot be moved. Paul talks, for example, in, in uh, Ephesians 6 and verse 15 about uh, the, in the armor of God, he describes there in chapter uh, 6, having your feet shod with the gospel of peace. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So again, the gospel gives us stability. And that is a very important picture as you walk along. As you walk along, uneven road. The Roman soldier gripped the ground firmly because he had a certain kind of, of shoe that helped him move over rocky terrain, help him move very quickly because the Roman army needed to do that. They needed to be able to navigate uneven uh, uh, territory. They needed to walk safely and securely. And so their feet would have been uh, 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 shod in a particular way with good shoes. Just as a, 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 one of the most valuable things a, a, a soldier has today even are a good pair of boots. You often heard that back in World War I and World War II, that a good pair of boots was like a, a, an essential uh, thing to have. And uh, Paul talks about having our feet shod with the readiness of the Gospel. And this is how he will not let your foot be moved. You can continue on in a steady way because the devil can try to hit you with all manner of, of things. Guilt, fear, shame. All these things which would uh, take the heart out of a courageous man. Yet the Christian is able to move forward under the grace of the Gospel. You think back with King David, for example, when he was overwhelmed by the, 
guilt of Bathsheba and what he did with her, or some of the other things that David did, what kept David from being completely crushed under the weight of that? How could he continue to go forward? Well, he begins Psalm 51 by saying, Have mercy on me according to your loving kindness. Have mercy on me, O God. It was in God's covenant grace that he was able to move forward. Another has said that one ounce of sin can harm us more than a ton of suffering. Isn't that true? One ounce of sin in our lives, a straying eye or a straying thought, a careless glance, can have more of an effect on us than a ton of suffering, than physical suffering. Sin can harden our hearts so we lose everything. But suffering, this person says, if handled rightly, can make us wiser, happier, and deeper. And so, what we are really to understand here as we take this forward into Paul's letter to the Ephesians and the the armor of God and the necessity of having our feet shod in a proper way is... How are we walking along that journey? Are are our feet shod with the gospel of peace? That as you meet all of those uh, particular potholes and all those things that are ahead of you, that that your, your, your steps are sure. Or as we were looking back in Psalm 119, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You see, we're not to consider these things of the psalmist walking apart from the Word of God, the light of His promise. What it says about Jesus and the promises of the Gospel, the sacraments, prayer, all of these things enter into the journey. Well, how did you keep going from that? How, you, 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 you did this thing in your life. Why do you have the gall to continue to go to church or continue to hope in God? Well, because I found my way back into the church and I heard the good news of the Gospel. I prayed and I believed that God saved me from my sins. You see? He will not let your foot be moved. That's the idea there. He's not saying that we're not going to meet with hazards along the way. We are. We're going to have sin in our lives. He who says he has no sin, he lies, and the truth is not in him. You're just not facing facts. You're just not living in reality. There's always going to be temptation around you. And oftentimes you're going to fall to that temptation. But that doesn't mean that your foot has, has finally slipped. You've lost your footing. No. He will not let your foot be moved. This is, this is the confidence that we find in the Gospel. And so Habakkuk can say, the Lord is my strength. He will make my feet like a deer and He will make me walk on my high hills. We can think of all the ways in which God restrains us from sin in our lives. All the danger that we could get ourselves into. Think of all the ways if God were to allow you to sin. Uh, uh, and that He has kept you back from and hindered you. That's why the, 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 the psalmist says, He hems me in behind and before. He puts me in situations where 
he, he keeps me from sinning against him. That's what God said at various times in the Scriptures. You remember Abimelech in the, in the life of, of Isaac, where Abimelech was going to take Isaac's wife, and, and God said, I kept you from sinning against me. I kept you from sinning against me. And how that could be true of our own lives in so many ways, friends, as God, through various means that we don't even understand sometimes, the restraint of the Gospel that we hear every week. If we weren't hearing that on a regular basis, if you start to get away from church, you might start to toy with sin more. The Word of God is not having that effect on you anymore because you're away from it. But God uses the means of church and worship and hearing the hearing the Word of God to restrain sin in your life. So it says, he, and in that, He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. That's a wonderful thing. God keeps Israel. He keeps His eye on Israel. He never, he never takes His eye off His people. I love the account of, uh, of uh, 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 Elijah which we looked at uh, some time ago in uh, 1 Kings 18, where Elijah is mocking the priests of Baal. And this is one of the ways in which he mocks them. It completely Giving a completely different view of, uh, 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 of the God of Israel. He says uh, in verse 27, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. To Elijah, that was a big joke. That was a laugh. Why? Because Israel's God does not do that. The true God, the God who is almighty in his spirit, does not slumber. He does not take his eyes off his people. He is constantly gazing upon them. He who touches you touches the apple of my eye. That's what God says. God is ever awake. He's always alert. Just as Jesus was on that mountain, you remember? And he was praying. And he saw his disciples on the lake rowing, straining against the wind. And he comes walking to them on the water. And he gets into the boat with them. Jesus is an embodiment of this very thing. He's not caught off guard. He's not caught sleeping. But he's constantly watching. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The Lord is your keeper. Another person has said that as a person's shadow is always with him, so is God with His people. He is your shade. So is God's people. I can see my shadow right now. Maybe you can see your shadow uh, on, the, on the pew. And so it is with God. God's sh- uh, shade is always upon us. And this is, this is a, a very strong language that has to do with the covenant, this idea of shadow. Remember what uh, um, uh, 
Ruth it was set in Ruth uh, of uh, um, who was the the guy in Ruth? Uh, the guy that married what? Boaz. Boaz married Ruth. Ruth. Boaz says to Ruth that you have come under the shadow of the Almighty. That Ruth joining herself to the covenant people of God, but more importantly to God Himself, she has come under the shadow. Under the shade of God. He shall be your shade. Psalm 36 how excellent is your loving kindness, O Lord! So the children of men trust under the shadow of your wings. Or Psalm 63, because you have been my help, in the shadow of your wings I will rejoice. Jesus is saying the same when He says, O Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you as a mother gathers her hen, uh, mother hen uh, gathers her chicks under her wing. Or the passage that Tim read for us. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. He is that close that He provides shade. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. What is He getting at here? Well, again, we can speak, I think, very broadly that whatever goes on in the day or in the night, it's no difference to God. The darkness is like day to Him, Psalm 139 tells us. It's no difference. Whatever is there in the night is also there in the day and vice versa to God. But it's also talking about the things that belong to the sun. The heat in those in the Middle East for travelers would have been very, very oppressive. And the things in the night also have bring uh, forth their own unique kind of challenges, don't they? For a, a child, their bedroom is transformed at night, and sometimes they they, they think of different things at night, which are really. Uh, also there through the day. It's no difference. And so he, 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 he talks about the, the danger that can come from the sun. Very real in the Middle East. And uh, the, 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 the sunstroke and things like that that can come upon a person. Alan Harmon, who was a free churchman in Australia... He said that sunstroke was familiar in the Middle East. And uh, while the Greek and Latin words for insanity comes from the word for the moon. And from the latter, we have borrowed our English word lunatic. And so that, that, uh, that the moon, I think we can uh, safely conclude, has a... a, 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 a an impact on people's behavior sometimes. Perhaps this is what the psalmist was getting at, that, uh, that the, the, the moon itself brings with it all sorts of challenges that the Lord is able to keep a person from. Simply put, we are guarded against, as one person says, both fears both rational and irrational. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life 
Again, going back to what we said at the beginning, does that mean that uh, no trouble will ever befall us? Well, that's simply, that can't be said. Uh, the, the, and that is not what he is getting at here. He is simply uh, talking about the, uh, the fact that he will keep our souls. He will not let our soul be lost. That's what Jesus said of Peter. Satan has desired to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. That is the great evil, friends, that would come upon a person, that their soul be lost. That's something for us to think about tonight. For your soul to be lost is the greater evil that would befall you. Not sickness, not even death, physical death. But for our soul to be lost. What's the profit of man should gain the world and lose his soul? Well, Jesus says to Peter, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. Now Peter, as, as a, a, a tradition would tell us, would go on to be crucified upside down. Lots of trouble came to Peter. He was thrown in prison. And no doubt all sorts of persecution came in between those times as well. Now would Peter deny that the Lord uh, kept him from evil? No, Peter would not say that. Paul would say in 2 Timothy, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into His heavenly kingdom. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Wow, that's quite a statement for a man who was stoned on several occasions, shipwrecked, beaten, lashed, given 39 lashes minus one on numerous occasions. And he says here, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. What's he talking about? He can't be talking about physical evil or physical trouble. He must, talk about, he must be talking about the things that would land his soul in peril and would land our soul in peril. Many of us have endured physical suffering you know, through sickness or been in hospital and all the rest of it. We've had much trouble in our lives. And God has used that to change us and so on. He's, so he's not talking about physical harm. He's talking about those things which would imperil our souls. And that is something that God will keep us from. All that the Father has given me, I have lost none. Satan has desired to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. Again, the psalmist in Psalm 73, he's had trouble in his life. He's seeing the, the prosperity of the wicked. He says, but it's good for me to draw near to the Lord. I went into the house of God. I got right with God again. Because I realized that though my flesh and heart fail, though my bones waste away, though my body... Uh, uh, Though I die, yet the Lord is my portion. You see, see what he's saying? See the idea there between, look, his problems haven't stopped. Maybe he's got physical pain. Maybe he's got troubles in his life. 
Maybe the wicked are oppressing him. But he says, it's good for me to draw near to the Lord. Because that's where I need to be kept. That's where I need to draw near. And whatever choices we make in our lives, look, the ultimate cannot be based on money. It cannot be based on career. It cannot be based on anything but the things that are good for my soul. And this is what's celebrated in the psalmist. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than a dweller in tents of sin. This is the evil that God keeps us from. So Hebrews 13, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. The Lord keeps us. He gets us to where He wants us to be. Remember Paul? God said, you're going to Rome. Oh, great. Get on the next ship. Have a nice leisurely cruise to Rome. Cross the Mediterranean. No problem. That wasn't the way it was. Imprisonment in Caesarea for two years. Shipwreck in Malta. Scorpion bite as well in Malta. But he gets there. On one occasion, he... The ship was being broken apart and they all grabbed two-by-fours and planks and they float into the shore. That's how they get there ultimately. Through many snares and toils, through many dangers, as John Newton says, we have already come in amazing grace. That's our journey. But those things itself are appointed by God for our sanctification, for breaking sinful habits in us for making us yearn for eternal life more. Yearn for the kingdom of heaven. To really rub our noses in the idea that this life is not what we're all about. It's not having your best life now. It's having that life which is to come. And the greatest blessings are those which pertain to our soul. And the greatest evil in our lives are those things which imperil our soul's health. And we must be about that. Whatever opportunities come into our lives, we say, is this taking me closer or away from God? Is this job making me more uh, uh, closer to the Lord Jesus? Or is it taking me away? Is this career, whatever I'm doing, this relationship, is it taking me closer or farther away from God? The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in. Not that, that's just a, a way of saying everything in your life, in and out, all that you do, the Lord will never leave you. He will be your constant companion. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Peter talks about that. He says, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation. 
by God's power, being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And how, again, does He do that? He does it through the means that He has given. It's not just letting go and letting God as we sometimes think. No, there's, a, there's a positive application for that idea. But it's not simply a, a discharging from the Word of God or from the appointed means. God has appointed the salvation of His people. But He has also appointed the means to get them there. He has appointed how He is going to keep their feet from sliding or the heat from striking them or their soul being imperiled. But He's also appointed the means through which that takes place. And this is one of those means. Prayer is one of those means. Pulling the rug out from under us is another one of those means. Fellowship and the family of God is another one of those means. And in all of those things, God is keeping our soul. And He is bringing us to our appointed destination from this time forward and forevermore. So He's looking forward not only in the present, but for the rest of our lives. And so as we continue on our journey, friends, we have the utmost confidence that even in these things, and that's what Paul says in Romans 8, even in these things we are more than conquerors who loved us. We are accounted as sheep through the, to the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. See, he's not saying that there's no trouble. No, he even puts it right in there. And I've often felt, what a way to ruin a good piece of Bible. Sticking that old uh, uh, violent uh, uh, verse in there about sheep to the slaughter. And it just seems to ruin it. No, it doesn't. It accentuates it. It accentuates it because it's real. It's facing up to what is real. That that while we have trouble, God will keep us from this time forth and forevermore. Let's pray.